You are listening to the Magic Drop Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel Cornish, actor, author, and creator. Join me on this journey of growth, joy, and love. I'm here to bring you dope content to expand your mindset and uplift your energy. Why? Because it's your epic life. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands we meet on today. I'd like to pay my respects to my elders past and present. Also, a quick shout out to ACAST for hosting this potty. Today on the show, I have Mark Feely. Mark is a yoga guru who has run successful studios in Melbourne and taught over 10,000 hours of the movement practice. The past two years, he has taken time to explore deep states of meditation, mindfulness, and consciousness. From this, he has established the Living Oneness Foundation, a unique approach to holistic wellness which integrates 10 different but ultimately linked modalities, leading to pathways that offer lasting peace, health, and understanding. Thanks for joining me on the Magic Drop podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here in person today. Mm, Isabel, thank you. What a great honor to be here with you uh, on the the Magic Drop. So uh, thank you very much for the invitation. So today we're going to be talking about yin yoga and some other things. But first of all, I'd like to know about your journey with yin yoga. What brought you to the practice? What did you love about it? And how has that evolved over the years? Yeah, oh my goodness. (laughs) There's so much uh, in there. Uh, yin yoga completely transformed my relationship with yoga as a holistic practice uh, and completely transformed my relationship with my own physical body. Uh, it's ultimately led into much deeper practices, but it simply changed everything, right? And at that stage, when I first uh, was introduced to it, it wasn't very well known. The yang practices, the more active practices were the most well known, but I'd heard about this yin, right? And I Saw a workshop that was being run in Melbourne, went to it, um, extraordinary teacher, her name's uh, Misan, Misan Sidbo, and uh, it just changed my landscape with regards to my own physical practice, but also what I taught. And from there, it, I just fell in love with it, right? And it continued to expand. And after, when you fell in love with it, when did you decide to become a teacher? Was that years on or was that early in the journey? Yeah. So uh, when I discovered uh, yin yoga, I was already teaching. I was already a a qualified yoga teacher um, as such, but I was only teaching, only teaching. I was teaching what was the common practice at the time, a vinyasa or a hatha. uh, So a flowing type yoga. Yeah. And that was common practice uh, at the time. Uh, and then somewhere along, I don't know exactly where I heard it, but somewhere along the line, I heard about this thing called yin yoga and this guy called Paul Grilly out of the States, who's like the modern day father of yin. He didn't invent yin, uh, but he was the, the guy, I guess, that's credited with rediscovering it and reintroducing it to the West. And uh, when, I, when I found that we introduced it to the studio, I didn't know how our students would go, and people loved it, absolutely loved it, because it's, it's the balance, right? Our, our lives are so yang. We're so active on the go, our minds, our physical bodies, and that's wonderful, right, to move and dance and be active. But the body also requires a sense of active rest, of active stillness, of unlocking toxins and tension in the body, and it's just such a dynamic balance between those two Right, and that um, you know, and it's now proven to be one of the most popular forms of yoga that's that's taught today. Yeah, in our society, we can think we need to do more and we need to be more yang, but it's sometimes about you know peeling back and really like sinking into those still poses that Yin Yoga offers us. Yeah, 
And for someone that doesn't know much about yin yoga, what's the basic breakdown and Mm -hmm. how does it differ from those other forms of yoga? You touched on that it's slow and still, but can you dive into that a little bit further? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So at one end of the spectrum, you've got your flowing type yoga and it's called many names, sometimes a hot flow, sometimes vinyasa, sometimes hatha. And these are moving practices which work predominantly on the muscles and the blood. So the circulation, right? Your heart rate. Um, yin is at the other end of the spectrum. So it's still a physical practice, but it's, uh, we invite students to come into a particular shape and then they hold that shape for two and a half to maybe five or even six minutes in some cases, depending upon what is the intention of the pose in the, in the sequence that the teacher is, is taking you through. And the idea of putting the body into that state is that we're trying to traction. We're not trying to stretch the body, which is sometimes a misunderstanding of yin. We're trying to apply a constant traction to the body so that we can get into this material that's in the body called fascia. So it's ligaments and tendons and myofascia. It's a, it's the binding material in the body. It's that thing that when you wake up in the morning and you do that big cat stretch, you go, oh, that's the fascia that's kind of got sticky overnight, right? So we're targeting a completely different type of material in your body. So the yang practice, the active, is more muscles, uh, blood, and circulation. And this is more the connective tissue bone. So in some cases, we're applying compression. In some cases, we're applying a gentle traction. And what that does is it releases tension in the body uh, and stress, discomfort, toxins. Uh, And when you release that, the body, the muscles and the other associated tissues can then what's called rebound back into a more natural state. So over time, what you find is you've got more freedom of movement. So even if you've got no injuries at all and you're an elite athlete, this will help prevent injuries. Uh, It gives you a greater range of motion. And it also has this beautiful meditative quality to it. Um, To be still for two and a half to five minutes is not easy for for some of us, but it's got that beautiful meditative quality to it as well. So it's it's a game changer. There's certain poses that need to be held for a longer period of time for the five minutes than the two minutes. Is there certain poses or is it all in, all depending on the class and how you kind of formulate that class? So it's all depending upon what the teacher is intending for the class. So uh, beyond about two and a half minutes, you're not getting as much physical benefit so that the traction that occurs within the body, it takes that constant pressure or tractioning of the body to release. It takes about two and a half minutes for that to occur. You actually feel a physiological change start to occur. The body starts to release and surrender. After that, it becomes less physical and more about the nervous system, right? As you drop deeper, more meditative, you drop deeper into your breath. So depending upon what the the teacher is uh, attempting to do with the class or is their intention uh, will depend upon the length. But two and a half minutes is about the, the minimum time you want to hold any of these shapes. And you mentioned the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and relax response. So can the two and a half minutes also get us into that parasympathetic nervous system? So um, that's such a big part of it, right? To allow our bodies to take a state of rest. And what we're finding, uh, studies have shown us, is that we knew that the sympathetic, the fight and flight, for most people, particularly in the West, is overstimulated. Yeah? Coffee, jobs, careers, life is just busy, busy, busy all the time, right? And what we thought was we needed to massage the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the system which allows us to rest and digest and 
But what we found through studies is that the parasympathetic nervous system is just as much at stress in the Western society as the, as the sympathetic because it's trying to constantly counterbalance. Mm. But we're not balancing. We're not resting as a society generally. We don't see rest as valuable. Right? But what yin does is it drops you into that parasympathetic, activates it, right? but also allows it to rest as well. So you rest in this beautiful harmonious state right, of an equilibrium between those two, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And what is the significance to the mind and body, for instance? What are the benefits of poses when they hold them for 15 minutes? That's a whole new thing again, and that's in certain yin practices. So what does that, what is that hoping to achieve is to to really drop people down into that space and to really ground them in that parasympathetic nervous system? Yeah. So again, it depends upon the intention of the class. The, The obvious benefit is to, to practice becoming uh, comfortable with the uncomfortable, yeah? So you're awake during the, or some people do drop off to sleep, but you're awake during these poses. And if you're holding it for 15 minutes, it's our natural inclination, again, particularly in the West, to want to adjust our hair or think about something else or move our body in some way, find some distraction. Whereas yin's inviting you to be completely present with whatever is arising in your mind, in your heart, in your energy, in your physical body, but maintain that sense of stillness. And initially, that's not easy for for a lot of us, right? We want to move and fidget. But once you become familiar with that witnessing capacity to be able to draw back and just watch yourself in the shape, it has such deep benefits on the nervous system, on your breathing, on the chemistry of your blood, but really importantly, on the relationship you have with your mind right, and the constant stream of thoughts which occur for most of us and be able to sit back into what's called the witnessing consciousness yeah, and just watch all of that come and go. And that's the portal, one of the portals into the true self, right, into the true essence of who we are. Uh, and this is one of the extraordinary benefits of yin. So, yes, it has great physical and biochemistry benefits to it, that's the, and they're well-documented. But this ability to stay completely centered, completely grounded in a shape and be okay with that is a beautiful practice for life. It's also interesting the different layers you get to. So when I did my yoga training, we had to do our 30 minutes worth of meditation every day, morning and night. At first, I, you know, I had those bubbling thoughts come up. I had that, that scratch to move. And after a while, I started to sink into it. But then I got to a new layer where I was almost more irritated after three weeks of meditation because I was like moving to this new layer. And then once again, I found meditation extremely hard. And it was like I'd sunk into this part. I'd let go of those initial external bubblings. And then I was getting to this grittiness of myself. And then I had to move through those layers as well. So it's interesting in the journey how sometimes it can be easier and sometimes it can be harder, even if you're still showing up the same amount of time or holding those poses for just as long. And a meditation teacher that I studied with on the Gold Coast, actually, he was like, yeah, it's like bubble bubbles, right? So we, the stress that we hold into our physical body over all these years and, and these life experiences, we have those thoughts, we have those, oh, I should move, I should get out of this pose. 
it's bubbles of stress. And if we grasp onto them, we're actually stopping those bubbles of stress from popping and dissolving. So I found that really, um, that really helped me in that when I had those things come up, seeing it as, oh, if I don't grasp onto this as well, it's going to help me relax into this state and realize that I can be and not have to do or action everything, but also that by making that choice, by resting into that state, I'm also helping myself. Yeah. That's a beautiful analogy. Whoever that teacher was. That's Rich a, Murr, his yeah. name is. Yeah. So that's a real pearl of wisdom, yeah, a real pearl of wisdom because what we're finding, the more we go into this, in yogic speak, they're called samskaras, right? So these are small traumas or likes and dislikes or things that happen to us in our life that get stuck in our body. And, you know, you go back 10 or 20 years, that might have sounded a bit kind of like out there, right? That that things that happen to us get stuck in our body. But what we're finding through science is that these traumas actually do get stuck in the fascia. So this material that we're trying to unlock in the process of yin yoga, trauma or discomfort or dislikes or pain or suffering, whatever disillusionment, gets stored in our body. And slowly, slowly they get released out. And those samskaras, as exactly as your teacher suggested, that's beautiful, I love that, suggested just allow them to rise. Yeah, allow them to rise because the moment that they rise, we become the witness to them. We release them out of our body. Our natural inclination sometimes is to go, I don't want to deal with that. It feels a bit uncomfortable, right? It's getting hard. This is just getting too hard. And we push them back down. And the more we push them back down, the more they stay. And then the stronger that they get. And then eventually, for some of us, they turn into some form of physical, mental, or emotional disease. Yeah, like a strangle fig. Yeah, that's yeah, you're exactly on it, 100%. Also, talking about relieving stress from our body, there's another practice called TRE, which is tremor release therapy. So, what I love about yin is you can do it anywhere, you can do classes online where tremor release therapy it's a different modality, healing modality, but essentially, it's all about releasing stored energy or trauma in our bodies and that also I when I do that practice it does help my fascia as well but it's insane I had this I like to talk about TRE in case it sparks people's interest into looking up that as well but I had um, I tried it out one time and I've also tried yin in the same way which is I do animal rescue Mm -hmm. and this one day I had to rescue a baby kangaroo from the side of the road And a little tip is when there's a baby kangaroo in the mum's pouch, if they're quite, um, if they're quite young, they'll often still be on holding onto the teeth of the mum. So you actually can't pull the baby off the teeth. You have to cut the cord. Otherwise it can hurt the baby's mouth. So people don't really know this and you just think, oh, I've got to save the baby. I'll just remove the baby. But that that cord is just like a rubber band. It doesn't hurt the mum either way. And I had to go save a baby Joey and it had been ripped off the the mum's teeth because the person wasn't aware, which we aren't aware because we're not taught this kind of thing, especially I grew up in the country and I wasn't taught this. Mm. And I had the baby Joey and it didn't live and it was just such a – I had it in my hands and it was just this little tiny thing and I was just could feel just the, like the sadness and the energy and – the trauma of that experience and then I had to take the baby to the vet and I got home and I felt really heavy and 
I got straight onto my mat and I did TRE and yin yoga and it was honestly like 20 minutes of a deep practice. I did the like where you get the tremors and things like that. You get them in yin yoga as well. When you hold a pose, you get that tremor. And it was like the sun came out and then I got up and I was just, I felt clear. Something that I would have held on to for a day, two days, a week was able to, because of that practice, release from my body. And then I felt, yeah, the sun come out. And I was like, that was when I really was like, whoa, because I'd actioned it straight away. So I was actually able to see the light to dark. For other people, that is having that same effect. But it's just like when you've got things that are stored from a long time ago, you've got to constantly move through those layers. And every day there's new experiences, new stresses. And that's why it's about, you know, regularly coming back to those practices that can help to release our stress and tension and bring more vitality into our lives. Yeah. I love that example that you gave. And that's such an important point about moving the energy out of our bodies, right? And we are balls of energy. All of us are. The whole universe is. We're simply a small component, a subset of that, but yet we are part of everything at the same time. So this ability to consciously move energy through and out of our bodies is a really important part of our practice. And then there's the other side to it, is to start slowly to understand why we actually start to hold the discomforts, the pain, the suffering, the many traumas in our bodies in the first place. And it's because one thing to release it, and that's amazing, and I highly recommend that to everyone. It's just such a healing process. But there's a layer behind that, mm. yeah, is to begin to understand what sparks us, yeah, what causes us. Because you and I can see a particular incident and have a completely different experience. Right? You and I could go for a walk along the beach now for the next five minutes, and what you see and what I see, and we're in exactly the same spot looking exactly the same thing. Our experience of that is different. And that's based upon our likes and dislikes and our history and our parents and our religions, and, and so it is, right? And we all have these little boundaries of this is what I like and this is what I don't like. And inside those, we feel really safe. Outside of those, that can start to put traumatic energy into our body, right? And But if we become conscious of that, release it out, slowly over time with certain practices, release our attachment to likes and dislikes and try to control what this moment should be like, <laughs> Um, can actually take you to another level. Yeah. So it's uh, if you combine those two together, you're in a you're in a really strong place to live life to its richest capacity. Yeah, and you touched on it a little bit there, which is how yoga can relate to consciousness and spirituality. Can you share um, one or two more stories of what you've seen throughout your years of? that kind of tie between yoga, consciousness and spirituality and how the practice of yin and yoga can help us to really be in a state of compassion and live a more harmonious life. Yeah. That's such a rich question. It is a rich question, <laughs> but I had to go there. <laughs> Thank you for going there. Um, how, I, how I try to answer that in, in you know, a short a couple of sentences. How, uh, so I'll start with... If you take a step back and look at the practice of yoga through its original intention as best as we can in this society, in this age of something which is six, seven, eight thousand years old, the ultimate intention of yoga, as I understand it to be, is a 
the very word yoga means to yoke or to join back together. Yeah, And at its ultimate, in the way that I've studied it, its ultimate form is samadhi, yeah? or sometimes called consciousness, Buddha nature, awareness. It's called many, many names, Christ-like. In yoga, it's, it's called samadhi. And this is the union of the individual with the divine in whatever name you want to give that, right? And there's a layer beyond that where the two merge completely. So the practice of the physical asanas is originally intended, to the best of my knowledge, to allow our bodies to become strong and healthy enough and balanced to sit in meditation. The process of meditation then is to start to become aware of the thoughts and emotions and feelings and the stimulus that we have around to then slowly detach from that right, and start to become the witness. Now, the witness, that is the watching capacity, is the first stage of consciousness. Once we step into that stage of witness, then you're already on the path to freedom. You're already on the path. So yoga, in its original intention, is to allow us to find a relationship with the divine and recognize that the divine is us, holistically, and that we are whole, perfect, and complete exactly, exactly as we are. Yeah. It's so simple, but it's just so, as well, this world that we live in where that's our, how we're born. We're born into that. Yeah, we're born into a world that uh, elevates achievement and elevates the mind, yeah? There's actually a higher form of consciousness than that, right, which is your heart in very simple terms. And we all know that. You know, when we're at times of stress or we've got difficult decisions to make, the mind will be oscillating and, and trying to help us as best it can. But when we sit back into our heart, into that higher level of consciousness, the answer comes more effortlessly. The great challenge that we've all got is we're, we're all part of what Michael A. Singer calls the three-ring circus, right, the external world. So you've got what's happening out there in the external world is one layer of it. You've got your own thoughts, which for most of us just seem to be completely random, and then you've got your emotions. And we as humans, again, particularly in the West, as humans get so caught in that layer right, of what we're picking up from the external world, what's happening in our mind, and what's happening with our emotions is that we lose our ability to step back into this heart space, into what's sometimes called the seat of the soul, right? And that's the essence of yoga. In fact, that's the essence of all spiritual practices, whether it's Buddhism or Taoism or Confucian, they're all pointing us back to the truth is inside of us. You know, when I first heard that, I think Jesus quoted it one time, right? The kingdom is within, or worse to that effect, right? I mean, yeah, sure, look, yeah, look, you know. And if Jesus and Buddha are saying it, you kind of go, well, there's got to be some truth in it. But I really had no idea what that actually even meant. I had no idea how to find it. And I was trying to find it originally. And I spent almost 20 years, right, in practicing and searching spirituality. I've studied almost every tradition. Um, where I've landed is in a, and I'll talk about later if you want, it's called non-dualism, right? That's that's kind of where, where I'm at the moment. But that whole process of turning inwards, I didn't know what to look for. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to find it. I didn't, if I bumped into it, was that it? This searching that I've been able to do, particularly in the last couple of years, has given me a real uh, first-hand experience of what it is. Yeah? What is it to sit in your consciousness? What is it 
to begin to merge with everything. And there's a sense of peace and calm and love in that space that is exquisite. Now, it doesn't mean that life doesn't get bumpy, right? It does. But you're able to sit back and watch it. And the great teacher, Adi Ashanti, talks about this, right? He calls them Velcro moments, right? So something happens in your life and you lose your shit, right? Something happens and you go, uh, and you get angry or irritated or you feel justified in, in doing a particular action. Whereas in reality, this ability to sit back in consciousness and just watch all of that ebb and flow completely changes your relationship. So yes, you might still get angry, but it's for a split second. Yeah. Instead of it ruminating three days later or three weeks later or three years later, it's still stuck in our mind. If it's stuck in our mind, coming back to your point, that energy is stuck in your body. Mm. And it can come out in many different forms. I studied eating psychology and the relationship between unwanted eating habits and also emotions and anger or grief or sadness and that that grasping onto those things if you're also not conscious of it you can then it can come out in other things whether it's shopping alcohol eating disorders and it and people can work and work on that symptom of like trying to fix that eating disorder but if you're not going to the root cause or what is under that surface and what what it is there to do. I like like Mark David calls it a divine symptom, a doorway for transformation as well that we need to be conscious of that and like be able to sit into that space and become a witness and an observer so that, you know, we're not picking up these things, then we grasp onto those. And the more energy we give that thing that's not the the true issue, the further away we're getting from where we need to be. Yeah. So, yeah, it is all just this witnessing in this consciousness and that heart space. Yeah. And it's hard in this world that we live in. It's yeah. just there's so many things. But that's why the practice of yoga and meditation is so imperative. Yeah. And it's, I mean, this is such a beautiful conversation. Thank you. This is it. You know, for most of us, and I, I, I never say everyone, but for most of us, life is a challenge. You know, we do our best. We try to show up every day. We try to be kind and compassionate, loving, care for the planet as best we can and care for each other as best we can. But there always, for most of us, seems to be something missing, right? And this is the connection to self. So we try to, as you beautifully outlined, sometimes we try to fill that need, that void inside of us, with all sorts of addictions or distractions. And even the practice of yoga can be an addiction or a distraction because we're trying to fill something of an emptiness or a lost feeling inside of us that we all feel, right? And what's missing is that deep connection with ourselves. And this is the practice, the ultimate practice of yoga is to go inwards. Buddha said it, Jesus said it, (laughs) Krishna said it. Um, Meditation, go inwards, yeah? And this is this meditation practice that can start with a mantra, but then you let the mantra go. So mantra is a word, say, om, for argument's sake, that you use in your meditation to quieten the mind a little bit. But eventually you can drop the mantra and just go in and feel this vibration, this aliveness in, inside of you. And once we're in that space, the journey of self-love begins. Yeah. And once we're able to fully accept ourselves and truly love ourselves exactly as we are, then we're able to love everyone and everything, yeah? So addictions fall away. Relationships become richer, right? We find this space inside of us that 
It's almost like coming home. Mm. Yeah. And it can be even a love of the human experience, yeah. a love of that, the hard times, a love of the things that really get us angry because that is the human experience, yeah. but it's not like grasping onto them and letting them cause us more grief. Yeah. It's about finding that like love for life and for being human and yeah. for the difficulties and the challenges. Yeah. And sitting yeah. in that space. Ram, Ram Das, I'm not sure if your audience, some would be familiar with it. He's, a, he's passed away now, but he's an extraordinary American-based teacher. And he talks about it as take, your, take the curriculum. You've come into a human form, a human incarnation, right? You are spirit, you are consciousness, so there's a you behind the physical form. But here you are, right? Here you are, nonetheless, as a human form. So take the curriculum, yeah. right? Enjoy the journey. And yeah, it's going to get messy and bumpy and fantastic and awesome and angry, all of the emotions. But you're not the emotions. You're not the thoughts. You're simply the witness. Your deeper consciousness is the witness of all of that. So as you beautifully said, that can even allow the difficult times to be times where transformation takes place as lessons or a message for us or a way of being in the world that's different. And once you start that practice, and it's just take small steps, small steps, small steps, it completely transforms your life, right? The ebbs, the highs and lows that we all experience become just little ripples on the surface. I think that's what acting has taught me a lot as well because getting you know, a scene or reading a film or a book or a script and the emotional experience of that character when you get to play that, you're like, thank gosh, they have this rich emotional experience. And it's almost, you're grateful for that because you get to show that emotion and play that character. And it also gives you a great appreciation for the human experience. And, you know, as an actor as well, I'm not holding on to that. I'm feeling it. I'm showing up. I'm having that experience in that scene, but then, I'm letting go of it, I'm witnessing it, and I'm moving on. So it's a great, you know, that analogy is also what we can use in life. It's about feeling those feelings, but you're not grasping onto them and not letting our mind create this crazy rabbit hole of thoughts. And the mind, we give the mind so much energy. And sometimes when you're going through a difficult experience, there's no, you can't think your way out of it. The mind can be a bit of a trap and it's, yeah, it's coming back into that heart space. It's coming back into that self-love, that deep breathing, that connection with your consciousness, your soul and your spirit that really helps you through that, that really can nourish you through that experience. Yeah. Non-dualism. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and how, yeah, your experience and how that's kind of shaped your life today and who you are. Yeah, so it's called non-dualism, sometimes non-duality, and the interpretation is not two, right? So they don't say one, they say not two. And it assumes the, the whole platform of it, it assumes that you are already perfect, you are already consciousness, you are already your form of God, right, embodied in a human form. It's a direct path. So an indirect path might be, for example, the practice of yoga, the eight limbs of yoga, where you start with the yamas and niyamas, then you do your physical practice, then your breath work, and then your meditation, and then you start to go through various states of meditation. And it's a journey. Non-dualism starts at the other end. 
So mm. it starts at samadhi, right? It takes you to a real and direct experience of your own consciousness today, right? And these are simple but profound meditative practices that allow you to feel that, right? And you touched on it before, again, uh, that example of your friend dropping into the heart, right? That you can't think your way out of some things. This practice cannot be understood by the mind because it's a place of no mind. Yeah? It's a place of no mind. So the mind can't contemplate a place where it doesn't exist. It's not possible. So we have to transcend that. And the mind is a sometimes gets a bad rap, right? It's real, it's a useful tool. Use it like a tool and then put it down. Right? It doesn't need to be ruminating. Science has told us that something like 85, 90% of the thoughts that we have are ruminations about the past or future predictions of what we think. And we're in a state of constant sympathetic nervous system overload, right? If we can bring ourselves back to this moment, right, to this breath, to this space, through this practice of dropping into our hearts, the practices of, of no mind, right, what you begin to experience then is this state of peace. I almost use the word bliss. Bliss can be misinterpreted sometimes is that it's a place of happiness, of joy. And it does have that element in it, but it has this place of peace that everything is in balance and everything is okay, right? exactly as it is. So it takes you, rather than build the layers, right, one upon another and ultimately get to it. says this is what your true essence is. This is the know thyself, right? This is boom. starts there. Then it says, okay, now come back and do your meditation or do your asana practice mm. from that place, knowing who you are at your core essence. Then let's come back and take the curriculum. And you see it with a different practice. The way you cook your meals, the way you interact with your friends, the way you love your animals, right? The way you surf, the way you love, it all changes because you're not doing it in just a human form. It's the human form, the actor doing the motions and having the experience. Beautiful. But you're remaining in this state of, of awareness, of watching, right? In this in beautiful embodied. So you're not spirit only. You're not human only. You're this beautiful intertwined energy that's having this experience. And it's a game changer, right? So this is non-duality. Um, it's an Indian, well, it comes from India to the best of my knowledge. Um, it's not widely known, although it's within its own circles. It's highly, highly revered. Um, uh, there's a book called uh, I Am That by um, Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj. He, he and Neem Karoli Baba, who was Ram Dass's teacher, are kind of the modern proponents of it. Um, and it says, no, right? let's start with knowing who you are. Mm. Let's start there. Forget the asana. Forget the meditation. We'll get to all that. That's important. But who are you? Who are you behind this facade and your stories? Who are you behind the likes and the dislikes? It's coming from a place of enoughness, not yeah. not enoughness. So it's like take you to that space where you understand the love, the enoughness that you are right now. And then also the work then becomes a gift almost. Yeah. It's not I'm doing this because I want to become that or yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere. It's no, you are already where you need to be yeah. and the works just helps you strengthen that connection. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's, you know, beyond 
and beyond all polarities, beyond all of the negatives, positives, the likes, the dislikes, the rights, the wrongs, behind all of that, I am. Yeah, it's the I am. It's the I am. And again, you know, if people who are listening are new on this journey, it, that might seem just like a stretch too far and might be the realm of the Buddhas and the Jesus and, you know, the Dalai Lama and, and people of that ilk. My experience of it is, is that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are in this space right now, living everyday lives, and this is absolutely accessible and achievable by anyone in this lifetime. Why? Because it already exists inside of you. It's just that three-ring circus that clouds it, the mind, the emotions, and the external world, and our attachment to all of that, that clouds this ability to step back into this space. And that's sometimes why we feel like there's something missing, because we're operating on a single platform. It's like watching a black and white television and then flipping it to colour. Mm. You're seeing the same program. It's the same show on the screen, but it's a completely different dimension. Then add surround sound, right? So the, your ability to see life in its full richness completely changes. It's a simple practice. It's not a religious practice. You don't have to, if you're a Christian, you don't have to give up your Christianity or your Buddhism or whatever you choose to practice. It's simply dropping past the state of bound in thoughts and likes and dislikes back into this energy which already exists inside all of us. My energy or my awareness and your awareness are the same awareness. There is only one, which is why it's called non-duality, not two, just one. And it's just an extraordinary place to live your life. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to change your career. You don't have to change your family. You don't have to go and live in a, in a cave in the Himalayas. Keep living life, but you live life from this stable ground of peace and equanimity, and everything is okay. Everything is okay. Magic. Mm. Mm. It is. Like it's like I'd studied so many different, you know, fields and practices and belief systems, and they're all valuable. Like I take nothing away, and they have such a rich tradition. And if you feel called to study that, do that, yeah? But here is a part a path, rather, that goes straight to the heart of every teaching. Boom. And it can, be ex- it can be taught and experienced in a very short period of time. I can't give it to you. I can point in a direction because it's a felt and an embodied experience. So I can give you practices and, and techniques and ways of you finding your own path to it but I can't give it to you and therefore I can't take it away from you it already exists inside of you and once found once experienced nothing is ever the same again yeah thank you you're welcome (laughs) thank you so I think that that will wrap us up for today yeah and i'll include all of the links so people can get in contact with you in the show notes yeah that'd be wonderful thank you it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and chat with you and this is such a rich topic and it just it lights my heart up that you know people are inquiring or you know at least discussing and if any of your audience goes well where do i where do i start on this journey like it sparked a little bit of intrigue I could highly recommend if you just Google or look on YouTube uh, a teacher called Ram Das, R-A-M-D-A-S-S. That's a wonderful introduction. Uh, He's now passed, but there's a plethora of information on it. 
and he's an irreverent, cheeky human being, ex-Harvard professor, experimented with all sorts of, of uh, hallucinogenics to try and achieve enlightenment, but found it through the path of non-duality and then came back and taught it for 30 years. Yeah? Extraordinary. It's like he's still alive, right? So Ram Das is a great place to, uh, to, to step into it or, uh, or contact, you know, through you, contact me, and I can point you in the right direction. But we run retreats on this stuff now, five-day retreats. Um, that's, that's transformative. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so yeah, much. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you so much for being a part of this journey. If this podcast resonates with you, I would love your support. So please share, subscribe, or leave a five-star review. Don't forget, you can find all the detail and links for this episode in the show notes. You can connect with me via Instagram at Isabel Cornish or via my website, isabelcornish.life. For more uplifting content, I highly recommend checking out my book, The Why, Healthy Habits for an Epic Life. Thanks for listening. And remember, stay magic.